Um, feel free to, to take whatever position will most support you. We'll be doing this for about 10 minutes. Um, it could be standing, it could be lying. Um, and I'm just gonna put something underneath me. No, I'm okay. Um, so we'll listen to three sounds of the bell and settle in our body and feeling our feet, feeling our seat, feeling our hands, feeling our head. And we'll connect with our breath as we listen to the bell. Feeling the flow of your breath in and the flow of your breath out. Feeling your whole body seated here or in whatever position you're in. welcoming yourself here, just as you are, right in this moment. Moving your attention through your body, noticing if there are any places of tension or distress that might need your care, your kindness. And it may not be a particular place. It may be that the body is just tired. So maybe bringing kindness, compassion to the whole body Or perhaps there's some 
some difficulty that you're going through, whether it's physical or emotional, mental, some challenge you're facing, some way that <clears throat> your heart is breaking in response to what's happening in the world around us right now with the uprisings, with the pandemic, with climate change. Just tuning in to yourself to see if there's a suffering that you can be aware of. and offering yourself care and compassion for this pain. For this difficulty. If it helps you to touch that, you can put a hand over your heart and just communicate to yourself with a phrase or with energy. I care about this pain. May my suffering be relieved. May I learn to hold my suffering with compassion. Maybe the suffering of not knowing how to approach this issue of racism in our country. Or the suffering of not knowing how to confront the racism in people around us, maybe people we love. Maybe fear or confusion, our own ignorance. This sense of the heaviness of having the privilege of white skin. Whatever suffering you're aware of, perhaps as it relates to race, holding yourself with care.
May I learn to hold this suffering too with compassion, with understanding. You can keep your hand on your heart or you can rest it down, whichever feels best for you. Take a deep breath. And now we bring to mind someone in our lives that we know is suffering. Someone close to us in our community. Maybe they've lost someone Maybe they're struggling with some illness or going through a difficult time or lost their job. Or maybe there's someone that's caught up in a harmful view that's hurting them and others around them. Maybe it's a view on, on race. That we don't agree with and that we are pained by. See if you can connect with their pain, even if you don't agree with them. Feeling, giving rise to the quality of care and kindness for this person suffering. Which doesn't mean condoning if what they are doing is harmful. We can have fierce compassion where we wish to remove the suffering, but that can also mean challenging others or ourselves. But even fierce compassion always has as its aim, the transformation, the growth, the redemption of everyone involved. Holding space, reaching out to this person in your heart with care, with the wish for their suffering to be relieved. them to be able to hold their suffering with care, with understanding. 
We'll take a deep breath again. Now we extend our compassion out to those we don't know who are suffering right now. And maybe you've encountered a specific story in the news or you heard about someone from someone else. See if you can bring something quite specific to mind. Maybe it's the people in prison that are becoming infected. Maybe it's a particular person who was killed by police brutality and their family by racialized police killing. Maybe it's those in detention centers who are immigrants or those who work in meat packing plants forced to return to dangerous working conditions where they're exposed to the virus. Maybe it's protesters who are, who have suffered in their attempt to express their rights. Maybe it's young people who didn't get to graduate. Or elderly people infirm in nursing homes that can't see their families. Let a situation come to mind that you've been in touch with. And let your heart break open in response to this real suffering, unemployment and not getting your unemployment benefits, having your water shut off. Not having potable drinking water in your home. Let it in as you inhale and as you exhale, offer compassion to these people. The real care for their suffering. a real wish for their suffering to be relieved.
Wishing safety. Wishing for protection. Offering an open heart that cares. We'll bring awareness into our bodies again, feeling our feet, feeling our seat, feeling our hands, feeling our face as we listen to the sound of the bell. So <clears throat> if you want to, you could share in the chat any reflections from that practice, a couple words or how you're feeling right now in your body, whatever that brought for you. Connection, the, cir the circle of suffering felt so big. Release, lightness, full-hearted. I have a dear friend who's employed at a chicken processing plant in Virginia and my heart aches for her need to do this work. Forward-hearted, permission to feel, greater awareness of suffering 
feeling softer, more open, more able to love, connected to others in an important way. Thank you for sharing your reflections. I just felt a wave of calm flowing from me and visualized it encircling others. Space held and given. Thank you. So um, thank you. <clears throat> Made a couple more heartbroken for this world and all all the oppression and violence some humans can impart upon others. Yeah. So I think I'll just um, begin by naming that I realized as I was preparing for this, I was like, oh, this is kind of um, I felt funny as I, after I had said, I had agreed to speak about racial equity. I was like, oh, I'm a woman of color. I'm biracial. My mother's African-American. My father's European-American. And you all are mostly white. <laughs> and, um, and I thought, hmm. I can share things for sure. And I think what's really important is for white folks to be talking to white folks about racial equity. I mean, we definitely need conversations with everyone. Um, we need to hear everyone's voices, but I just wanna name that from the outset that, you know, um, I read a, a meme on or a quote on someone's Facebook page that said something like, um, you know, as long as if that th this situation will only change when white people begin to see that this is a white person's problem, racism, and not something they have to empathize with people of color about. And so part of that shift from like, oh, how can we help? You know, what can we do is realizing actually, how can we educate ourselves as white people with other white people and not um, rely on people of color to show us the way or educate us or, um, you know, tell us what to do or tell us what's wrong and what do you need from us? Because that's not you doing the work that you need to do, right? Because this is your problem, just like it's everyone's problem who has more melanin in, in, uh, in the world, right? And I think to me, that's the beauty of what's happening in these uprisings across the country is 
that is becoming clearer and clearer to a lot of white folks that this is about us. This is about us not having our full humanity if, if George Floyd could get snuffed out so casually by someone we, we pay taxes to, uh, to fund, right? And so, so I guess my invitation to you all is, is to really um, see this as, as, as about you and your experience and your responsibility to learn about and talk about and educate each other about, which I saw from your chats that a number of you are already involved in. And I know AJ is on the call and I'm sure in addition to AJ, there's a number of you here also who are very active in um, exploring white privilege for yourselves and sharing with others how it works, how to undo it, how to become more conscious of it. So I just wanted to start by saying, you know, I don't think my, my best uh, offering here today would be to try to tell you things about race because um, I think it, it works better if, if it's, you know, coming from within you and, and um, yeah, not to say we can't learn, you know, from wonderful, wise voices of folks of color, but that, that I really want to invite you to see that this is not something to, to listen to passively, but to say, okay, this is a path I'm really going to walk that I really need to learn and take responsibility for educating myself about. Um, and it's heartening to hear that like the top 12 books on the best New York Times bestseller list right now are all about race and undoing racism, and, you know, white fragility, Robin D'Angelo, how to be an anti-racist by Ibram Kendi. So these things people are really waking up to right now. Um. <clears throat> um. And the other thing I'll say about that is, for me, this is a, a lifelong learning, a lifelong path of learning, and it's part of our spiritual practice. It's part of being a mindfulness practitioner is to, to take this, um, you know, this is a Dharma door to understand how race works and how um, power and oppression works in our society, in our own relationships, in our own families, in our own communities, in our own history, you know. Um, I'm, you know, as I said, a person of color and I've been, I've had to learn about this my whole life, just, just to live my life. This has had to be a very important part of my um, study and 
development from a young age, reading about civil rights struggles. My dad was in the civil rights movement, focusing on African-American studies in my university. And then as a nun, bringing in awareness to the community about the need to create more access to people of color in our retreats and our centers, starting people of color retreats and people of color groups. And now in this phase of my life as a lay teacher, it's a big part of my work and my practice is to use the Dharma to help, <clears throat> to help bring awareness and healing to the, the issues of race in our sanghas, in our larger Buddhist communities and, and in our world. And so, so I see it as, as a lifelong journey, even though it's been a big focus of mine for most of my life, I feel like I'll never understand enough. And, and that is the bodhisattva attitude, right? That's in our, um, the, the, the different texts, the different sutras, descriptions of who a bodhisattva is, as someone who's ready to learn throughout their whole lives. It never feels like we've figured it out. So. So I just encourage all of us to take this on as a, you know, not like a heavy, uh, you know, burden, but as a gift to unwrap. For our whole lives, we can, we can always learn more. We can always come to more freedom. That's really what this path is about. It's about finding freedom and, and healing the problems of, of racial inequality is part of all of us accessing our, our deepest freedom. It's actually to the extent that we don't understand how it works in our lives, in our society, to that extent we can't be free spiritually or politically, economically, socially. They're all woven together, you know? So, so I hope, you know, you'll see this as a Dharma door, how to really um, make it part of your spiritual path to wake up to what whiteness is and how it operates. Um, and what, what you as an individual can do to keep it from being so harmful because it doesn't have to be um, an expression of harm, right? Some of you wrote that in the chat about being an ally or I've been hearing the word accomplice uh, coming up to like the sense of you, you can do so much with this privilege of, of whiteness, of of being white-bodied. Um, so I'll just say a few more things and then I think it'd be great to just have more time and space for conversation. Um, <clears throat> now is the time to be active in this <laughs> as, as I'm sure, you know, 
many, many of us, many of you are realizing, otherwise you wouldn't have asked me to come and talk about this. Um, and I think of the Bodhisattva Kshitigarbha, this Bodhisattva in our kind of pantheon of great beings, which are really archetypes and energies that are in each of us. Um, Kshitigarbha is the Bodhisattva of great aspiration that is willing to uh, go into the hells where there's great suffering and help people. This is like the, the Bodhisattva that's willing to get the worst assignment of being sent to the worst, you know, most desolate, most, um, you know, hopeless place to bring hope, to bring light. And I feel like that's the bodhisattva that we want to call on now in our work, in our, um, you know, being willing to go where it's painful, to bring light, to bring understanding and that might be in places inside of us you know it can be an inner landscape as well as an outer landscape so what are the what are the stories that we haven't heard that our ancestors didn't tell us what are the places that are dark and <clears throat> hidden inside that need to be brought to light you know, and this book that I've been talking about in many places, My Grandmother's Hands by Resma Menachem, uh, Healing Racialized Trauma. It's a very important book. Maybe, you know, it'd be an interesting book to, to study as a Sangha. We, we led an online course, Sister Hayan and myself, and we'll do it again in the fall. So, I'll give you an email you can write to if you're interested in getting information about that. Um, restoring kinship at gmail.com. <clears throat> anyway, um, yeah, in this book, he mentions the importance of white folks understanding the historical trauma that has been part of whiteness operating in the destructive way that it does currently, that it actually didn't just start in the new world when Europeans came over, but it started in Europe in the, um, the ways Europeans brutalized Europeans throughout the dark ages, throughout the, the middle ages. Um, in terms of the, the public display of torture and punishment and um, with not many jails or prisons, there was a lot of emphasis on, on public punishment to deter crime. So people were traumatized for generations watching great violence done to people in their own communities. And they brought that over to um, the colonies when they began to colonize. So that's a piece that hasn't been really addressed, right? Where does this um, violence in our culture come from? Why are we the country that, you know, has the most gun deaths? 
despite you know such an over overly militarized police force why are we the country that incarcerates more people than any other country on earth i mean our our country is really really in in um I think we're really at a turning point if we don't figure out some different strategies soon. We're, we're really heading in a, in the wrong direction. I was, I was watching the Poor People's Campaign broadcast, which they, uh, there was a digital march on Washington June 20th, and I encourage you all to watch it. It's three hours, but it's, I watched the first hour last night. It's amazing. I'll just share with you some other statistics or numbers that point to how violent our country is in terms of, you know, indirect structural violence through poverty, through discrimination, so we spend over half of our budget on the military. That's more than any other country in the world. Spend over half of our budget on the military. And three billionaires own 50, more than 50% of, three billionaires own more than the bottom 50% of the US. So three people, we're 320 million people. Three people own more than 160 million people. And that's violence. One in five children in the US go hungry. Sixty million people in the US earn less than a living wage. And they work two to three to four jobs. And most low-wage workers are women and women of color. And you all know 40 million have lost their jobs in the last two months, in addition to what was already a really dire situation. Unemployment for Black people is twice as high as white people. The rate of Black people dying of coronavirus is three and a half times that of white people. Less than 50% of black adults right now have a job. Majority of black adults in the country are unemployed. 72%, I mean, 72 million people in the US can't afford their medical bills. Okay, this is all violence. It's a, it's a way that we've consented in some way to corporate greed and governments, politicians that are pulling out the plug on our social, you know, social services on the, the the nets that hold those that are more vulnerable. And, you know, 
other countries aren't aren't uh, expressing this same disregard for their for their citizens in in wealthy countries you know they're using their wealth to take care of their citizens in many cases <clears throat> So all this is related to that unhealed trauma that was brought over from our European ancestors. The racial violence is a carryover and all of the economic violence also. Yeah. One last uh, thing I'll share. I, I listened to a Collective Trauma, Healing Collective Trauma Summit. This was in October. Thomas Hubel is a German teacher and he was talking about how, how intergenerational trauma is like a layer of snow that freezes and then the next generation has trauma that another layer of snow that freezes so you get this huge block of ice. And he said, underneath all of that ice is, are all the solutions already that we need to solve our problems of climate change, of inequity, of racial injustice. They're already there. They're just frozen underneath these layers of trauma. So I, I really think that exploring in an embodied way how, how we have trauma from our own lives, how we have inherited trauma from our ancestors um, is really a revolutionary practice that is, is really for the benefit of the whole. Um, and I'll just tell one story about this. Um, this is from Brian Stevenson, who if you don't know who he is, you should really read his book called Just Mercy. He's black Harvard-trained lawyer who helps get innocent people off of death row and children who've been tried as adults out of life sentences, sent in as 11 and 12-year-olds, mostly kids of color also. Beautiful man, has an equal justice initiative in Alabama and lynching memorial to honor the many thousands of lynchings. Anyway, so this story is that one of their projects at this museum was to go and get soil from every place where there was a lynching. And so when you go into the museum, you see a wall full of jars of different color soil where, where there was a lynching. And so one of the, there's an African-American woman who took one of these jars and went out to a site where she knew there had been a lynching and she was scared. She was not feeling very um, comfortable. And she noticed as she was digging, a, a white man drove by and slowed down and looked at her. And that made her really nervous. Then it turns out he came back and he parked and he got out. And then she was like trembling at that point. And he came over. And he asked her, what are you doing? And, and she said, I'm collecting soil from this site because there was a lynching that happened here. You know, maybe it was 60 years earlier. So he gets down on his knees and he starts digging soil with her. 
And she's so moved, she starts to weep. And he says, I'm sorry if I've upset you. And she says, no, I'm, I'm glad that you're doing this with me. And she says, why are you helping me? And he starts to weep. And he says, because I think my grandparents might have been part of helping that lynching happen. So they collect the soil together. So there's healing that needs to be done. Healing of our ancestors, healing of ourselves. And we can't, we can't move forward with freedom until we see what, what are those blocks of ice that need to be melted, the layers. Thank you for listening and would love to hear your reflections and thoughts. <laughs>